encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. About a month ago, Chris Williams and I got assigned these passages, except I was last week, he was this week. I knew I would be out of the country. Called him and said, can we switch? And wanted to warn him, though, if we switch, of course, he would have to preach on fasting. And he said, that's okay, because if we switch, you have to tell a well-to-do congregation about their possessions. (laughs) But plans were already made, and here's where we are. Thankful to Chris for his ministry last week. Jesus has taught us about the Lord's Prayer and then about fasting. And now he turns to the topic of our possessions and the attitude of our heart towards that which we own, which at times can it own us. Now be reminded before we read the passage though, this is not about how you become a Christian. Uh, It's already set in the very beginning of the Beatitudes. Those that are poor in spirit, those who mourn over their sins, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are the ones who become Christians This, later in the Sermon on the Mount, is about life as a Christian. It's about life in the kingdom of God. So not how you become one, but if you are a Christian, this is the fruit that should be born, even as we read here, Matthew 6, 19 to 24, specifically with regard to our possessions. Be reminded the Bible is inspired and errant and the word of God. It's our only rule of faith and practice. This here, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Jesus says to us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Our Lord and God, we pray that you would be gracious this night As we consider this passage, may you bear a sweet fruit in our lives, that our hearts and minds might be informed by the Lord Jesus' love for us as he teaches us about the life in his kingdom, especially as it relates to the tough topic of money. I pray in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. A certain farmer ran into his home one day with great news to his wife. Their finest cow had given birth to twin calves. And he was moved of heart and said, I'm convicted by God that we should, we should raise these cows together. When they become a marketable age, we're gonna sell both of them. We'll receive part of that benefit from one cow and the other cow's uh, funds will devote wholly to the Lord. And so in this moment, the wife was encouraged by her husband's godliness, desire to pursue God and provide for his family at the same time. And she said, well, which cow will we devote to the Lord and which one's gonna be ours? And he said, oh, we don't have to worry about that. We'll decide that a little bit later. We'll raise them the same. We'll treat them just like the same and then we'll sell them and we'll decide then. Well, sure enough, about three months pass and husband walks in with a very gloomy face one particular morning says, I have terrible news. One of, the, 
one of the calves has died. And the wife said, well, which calf died? And he said, I'm afraid it was the Lord's calf that died this morning. <laughs> it's interesting when you think about our possessions, just how finicky our hearts can be. To have a right attitude at times about God and possessions, only to fall by a wrong attitude about God and possessions, followed by a right one, and we just bounce around left and right. Here Jesus speaks to us about our hearts, where our treasure is, what our greatest desires are. We must admit from the beginning that we're a bit of a finicky people. At times getting our theology right and applying it, and times getting it wrong. I think most sermons on topics like this are overly simplistic to say possessions are bad, God is good, therefore pursue God and not possessions. It's too simplistic, of course, for God gives us every good and perfect gift, including possessions. God is the one who made Abraham abundantly wealthy, Genesis chapter 13. God is the one who in Job 42 restored the fortunes of Job twice as much as he had before. God gave it to him, the Bible says. Paul will say, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Not, not money, not possessions. It's our love for these things that become the root of all of that. And you realize very quickly there's something happening in that sin-stained heart of ours, even ones that have been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, whereby our love for these things can grow disproportionate even to our love for God. And we begin to desire the possession more than God. And yet, it's too simplistic to say, just get rid of possessions. In fact, the early church in Acts chapter two, you'll remember they were in great persecution. So what did they do? They sold their possessions and gave to as many as had need. A beautiful picture in Acts chapter two. But keep reading the story. You realize eventually the apostle Paul has to raise funds to send back to the church in Jerusalem because they ran out of money. And so we realize if we were to say tonight, listen, here's the deal, sell your possessions and give it to the church. It would be wonderful for a couple of years and then you and the church completely would be in trouble in a couple of years. We have to get this right. For your spiritual well-being, for the church's well-being, and really even for the kingdom of God. If it's gonna grow, we have to have a right view of possessions and a right view of our own heart. And tonight, Jesus in Matthew chapter six desires to address all of that. I'm mindful of time tonight. I want to go to the Lord's table here in a bit, but four questions tonight I want to ask and walk through the text to be able to get it as well uh, as we can in this short time we have here tonight. Uh, let's start in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. First question to ask, so what, did, what does Jesus mean by treasure? He uses the word twice here. A simple study of the word itself. The Greek word is thesaurzetai. You hear in that our own word thesaurus is from that. If you understand that word, you begin to understand what's happening here. Jesus speaking about that which we would see is a large mass of words, right? The thesaurus, words piled on top of words. And here, he's speaking about treasures as this 
piling or accumulation of possessions. So in our minds immediately, if, you, if you're looking at the word, you have to say, this is not about just merely my daily needs, not about providing for myself and my family, not, not even about some measure of savings, but this is about an amass, accumulation. This is about luxury. This is about excess. And so in our, our minds, God's gonna call us to provide for our family. God's gonna say the man who doesn't work uh, shouldn't eat, right? We've gotta work, we have to provide. And yet somewhere along the lines of accumulating a certain amount of provision for our family and even savings for tomorrow, at some point in time, that accumulation becomes this mass, this large collection whereby we'll never be able to use all of that. And so here, this idea of treasures is a abundance or a luxury. Think a mass accumulation that you and I can never use. Now here's what I'm not gonna do tonight. I'm not gonna tell you what that financial number is. I'm not gonna say it's a half a million, it's a million, it's five million. I'm never gonna say that because the Bible does it. I will remind you though, the US is in the top 10 wealthiest countries in the world. And so when you, when you begin to look and compare, your temptation is gonna be look at your neighbor, but you gotta look a little further around the world. We are, we are rich people who love our security and love our comfort. And what happens so oftentimes, we say we have to have more. How much is enough? A little bit more, we say, to find our comfort and security. And yet if you're careful in that moment, if you're discerning about your own heart, you realize I'm not just wanting daily provision, I want, I want treasure, I want the sources, I want accumulation to be able to say I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, without worry. We long to have these things and ultimately what's happening is our possession is now possessing us. The thing that we're after becomes our, a God to us. Who should be my comfort? But God alone. Who's my security? It's God alone. And so our temptation is to say, I want large amount of treasures and I want them here and now because I'm a tangible person. I want that security around me. So Jesus says, do not lay up treasures upon earth. Don't think, I mean, think large excess. Don't accumulate them. First question. Now, second question is, why not? Why not have this large amount of possessions? Uh, the answer here uh, is found in verse 19 and then verse 24. Why not store up earthly treasure? Reason number one, they won't last. Verse 19, hear the logic. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, and so you, you get the, the sense here, you can gain them, but it's easy to lose them. I can remember being a 10-year-old boy, downtown Brunswick, Georgia, a sweet neighborhood. I'm at a baseball game. We come home after dark. Uh, golden retrievers don't make good protectors if you've ever had a golden retriever. We open the door, the dog starts barking then. Something's wrong, there's a lamp that's been knocked over. Something's wrong, my dad goes right, I go left. We get back to the kitchen, I'm following the dog. I'm not sure where dad was going. Get back to the kitchen. I thought I saw my dad run out the back door. I followed dad out the back door. I thought I saw dad go to the right. I hear the gate rattle, I go to the right. I hear my father's voice. Not in front of me, but behind me. I'd walked out after the actual robber that was in our home. Now it's fascinating about that night, I can still feel that night 
where I'm frustrated about that is not that a man was in our home, which is the bigger offense, but I had this little box where I stored my money and I had about $18 in that box. And I was mad that my $18 was gone. My treasure was there. My point is thieves break in and steal. We, we lose things. Moth and rust destroy, Jesus says. He's not being exhaustive, not giving every occasion of where you can lose money, but he's being illustrative here. This is what happens. You have these earthly possessions. What can happen to them? They can be gone tomorrow. And so, so this idea of accumulating a mass amount whereby I can find comfort and security in these things, be reminded they can be gone today. Jesus says, don't store up earthly treasures, number one, because it won't last. And then he says from there, down in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So why not earthly treasures? Number one, they don't last. Number two, because they can rule your own heart. The language here is of a servant and master. The language is of a, a slave. Now, you might quickly object and say, John, I'm not, a, I'm not a servant to my money. I'm not a slave to my possessions. But, but check our hearts for a bit. We become a slave to our possessions when I have a single desire to accumulate gain. When I have a laser focus, I remember coming out of college and I had a business management degree and I studied all about how IRAs work and I was, I was trying to put money aside for 30 years from then when I would perhaps retire. And I, I was focused in not on providing for my wife and I at that moment, but providing for the future. I wanted that security. I wanted that money. And I could tell you back then about how that accumulated interest works. I could tell you all those details and where I should be if I gave X number of dollars every month for 30 years where I would be. I was focused in. Then you realize that had become my God. I became a servant, as it were, to that accumulation of possessions so that I could find security in this life. I was a slave for a bit to those things. You realize that your possessions, which you own, can at some point begin to own you. Perhaps you found yourself fretting at night, not sure if you can make a mortgage payment or repay a certain debt. Perhaps you, you find yourself focused in where you're now neglecting family at times. Because if you go make one more sale or have one more business venture, if I can just get a little bit more, then I can be content. You realize at some point those things begin to own you and drive you and control you. And so Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And we have to realize that these things that we possess, they could eventually possess us, own us and rule us and rule our desires. It's entirely possible. I've fallen in that trap, I've gotten out, I've fallen in it, fallen back in it and gotten out. Somebody it's our lives, it's just battle which will happen. Jesus says, this large accumulation that we find security and comfort in, it won't last in this world and it might even rule your heart. And so here Christ, out of love for us, warns us, here's the way possessions work. So notice uh, what, the, what these treasuries, these treasures are, 
Why not store them up? And then let's go to the next question here. What is heavenly treasure? For turning it a bit, Jesus says, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves earthly treasure, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus will teach the truth without spelling out in great detail, but the Bible can make it very clear for us where we are. What are heavenly treasures? But those secured by God in heaven itself. Uh, away from here, so now we're thinking not, not earthly, tangible gifts and possessions, but now something's secured for us. Peter will say, 1 Peter chapter one, these are those which are incorruptible, undefiled and fadeth not away. There's a bank as it were, which is far superior to anything we can find upon this earth. It's in heaven. Paul will say in Ephesians chapter one that God has poured out upon us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And so in our mind's eye, we should begin to think through this idea that there's a place where I can store things, these treasures that I can have secure, where moth and rust can't get in, where thieves can't break in and steal, they're secure, and yet I can taste them now. They're poured out in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one says, You've been predestined, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven. You can taste these things. The fullness of that treasure is experienced in heaven, but we can have it even now. By the power of his spirit, we can taste these things. A heavenly father whose wrath is removed and now he, he loves us. The peace of Christ secured for us and the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ where I can experience that now. The joy of my salvation. These are heavenly stored gifts and yet I can taste them now. I can enjoy them now in a way that they'll satisfy me in, in no way that an earthly possession can. We're given the son's work. We're given the spirit himself. The great comforter comes and dwells in our hearts ever making intercession for us. These are heavenly gifts stored in heaven, but we taste them now by the goodness of the gospel. And yet think of the finicky nature of our lives. We, we battle between possessions, earthly treasures, and heavenly treasures. And we value one and we minimize the other at times to our own harm. Think how focused we get upon a retirement account and watch that balance go up or as of late go down and maybe back up and maybe back down and watch housing values, watch interest rates, how finicky all possessions are. And yet there is these truths which are fixed and finished in Christ Jesus. There are heavenly treasures which are guarded in heaven and yet poured out in Christ. I can have them now. To build my life as it were, not upon a, a sand hill, but the rock which is Jesus Christ and how I live on one instead of living on the other, and how unsettled my life can be. And yet God says here, they're heavenly treasures for you to know and taste, for us to build our lives upon, the stability that comes out of that, how sweet and powerful that would be to be able to know these things. And yet we tend to celebrate the earthly treasure and not the heavenly treasure. Think of it, even if the Spirit of God is now in us bearing fruit in our lives, and yet, what do we celebrate and commend? Think of the raising of our children. It's good and right to go to sports games and cheer them on. It's good and right to encourage them academically. 
and encourage progress and success in the schoolwork. But let's praise God for the good work he does in their souls as well. To, to pause and say, so what if they get a, a B or a C? But if they're growing in their knowledge and love of Christ, let's praise God for that. Let's speak about that with our own children. Or think about it in the room here. Not, not to celebrate simply business success or medical success, though we th- praise God for all of that. But spiritual growth for the, for the man who's now growing his love for God, trusting where he used to doubt, or the, the woman who's now stepping out in faith, sharing the gospel. Let's, let's commend these things. Let's, let's see that this idea of earthly treasures and heavenly treasures, we can commend one and deny the other one and sometimes get it in the wrong category. And yet here, if our lives will be fixed upon heavenly treasure, let's talk about heavenly treasure. Let's celebrate, let's thank God for it. Let's focus our hearts and minds on accumulating a a financial statement, if you will, of heavenly treasures, praising God for all that he does here, commending that when we see it in one another to the glory of God, let's encourage that. Now here's what's fascinating to me. If If you're thinking through Matthew chapter six very quickly, they're earthly treasures which won't last, moth and rust destroy, thieves breaking in steel. There's heavenly treasures, undefiled, incorruptible, fadeth not away. I can live my life upon the sand of this world, which God gives us possessions, uh, and yet I can build my life on those instead of building my life upon God himself. If we realize the finicky nature of all that, the question for us now is, well, how do I do that? How do I build my life on heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure? And this is where Jesus lays the truth before us tonight, but I think he's connecting them together and I'll prove that from Luke 12 in just a moment. Jesus says, don't live your life as a Christian building earthly treasure, accumulating mass. Yes, you have to work and provide. Yes, you use what God has given you time and treasure and talent for use in your family and the church and beyond but don't build your life on that. Build it on heavenly treasure. Focus on what God has secured for us in Christ, what he's poured out upon you in his spirit and what we can gain from that. The question becomes how, and in verse 19, he says, don't do one thing, lay up earthly treasure. In verse 20, he says, lay up heavenly treasure. I want you to connect those for just a moment. If the question is, how do I do this? How do I lay up heavenly treasure? I think the, the key is in the, connection. In other words, there's something about a giving up of earthly treasure that enables us to gain heavenly treasure. So instead of thinking about just giving, I mean gaining, we think about giving for the glory of Christ. If a man or a woman wants to examine your life and say, where is his treasure? What does he value the most? You can watch what he does with his possessions. Watch what he does with his time. Watch what she does with all that she owns and earns. Watch these things. You'll learn what's in their hearts. That's the point in verse 22 and 23 about the eye. You can, you can see all the way into that heart if you watch what they do with their hands. Jesus is saying, don't lay up earthly treasure, but lay up heavenly treasure. He'll say in Luke 12, I'll just read this quickly. Luke 12, 32 and 33, just to hear the connection. Luke 12, 32, fear not little flock, for it's in your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All right, so salvation's a gift. Verse 33, 
sell your possessions and give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Now in your mind, if you're listening carefully, that sounded a whole lot like Matthew chapter six. How do I have a money bag that won't fail? How do I avoid moth rusting, uh, moth destroying or rust destroying? How do I do that? The answer is in verse 33, sell your possessions. Now, Now put it all together. I can get rid of certain things and gain other things. I get rid of earthly possessions in order to gain heavenly possessions. Now, full stop. How do I get in heaven itself? Only by the merits and mercy of Christ. There's, there's, no, there's no money f- to gain heaven. Uh, it's only by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. So only those who know their spiritual poverty cry out over their sins and run to Jesus Christ. There's heaven's doors are open with that. And yet, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what is life like? It's about selling possessions in order to gain heavenly treasure. Now, in our hearts and minds, when you're gonna go to that core, you, are, uh, you think of your life, whether you're 20 or 50 or 70, and you're thinking about a certain amount of possessions you have, and you're warned tonight in Matthew chapter six that those possessions could actually possess you. That which you own can become your master. And you say, but Lord, I, I wanna be kingdom-minded. I wanna understand the right view of possessions. And it would go something like this, that a time in your life, the king came, Jesus came, and forgave you of your sins and brought you to his kingdom by, by grace alone. And now the king who dispenses gifts freely to men has given you these certain possessions for you to leverage for the glory of Christ. Yes, you must provide for your family. You provide today. You can save for college. You can save for retirement. And yet you know at some point in time where you begin to accumulate such a mass, you know, I will never use all of that. I just want it for security. I just want it for status. I just want it for a little bit of extra. And yet we realize in those moments, the, the, the tenuous nature of that, in those moments, those extra possessions become my God. And so I don't, I don't want them to become my God. How do, I, how do I deal with that? I leverage them for the glory of Christ. I take that extra and say, but what if God could use these things? My time and treasure and talent. What if I could not lay up treasures upon earth, even getting rid of those possessions, even to the point where Luke 12 says, I'm gonna sell a possession to be able to give something away. I mean, think of what's happening here. This is not saying he had $10 million and he gave the $11 million, the 11th million away. He had to sell something to have something to give. And yet for the glory of Christ, he did. How does that happen? Become somewhere where we know the king himself who freely came and saved us and gave us life and breath and every good and perfect thing. And we're to use him for the glory of Christ. So we must become kingdom-minded people who understand the king's grace in our life. We must be Realize that every possession I have is a kingdom resource in that way. We don't own these things. We're stewards of them. We're, we're like a, the one who the, the owner of the house went away and put the possessions in our care for a short season. That's us. Oh, we think we own them. No, we steward them for the good of our family 
and the glory of Christ. So I, I must be kingdom-minded, realize that all that I have is a kingdom resource, and then I must have kingdom goals. The king has come, saved sinners like me, longs to seek and save the lost, longs to use us and the gifts we have for the glory of Christ, and therefore to give away earthly possessions, time and talent and treasure for the glory of Christ. We must be kingdom-minded folks who have kingdom resources for kingdom goals. And in that way, there's a gain in all of that, which is heaven treasures itself. Now be reminded, God didn't condemn Joseph for storing up grain. Solomon commended the ant for storing up for winter. Business and banking are good things. And yet our possessions sometimes possess us. How much sweeter if we could take those possessions. Yes, provide for your family, provide for your future, but all that accumulation, rather than being a risk to own you, give it for the glory of Christ. Open your homes and share meals with others. Yes, give financially, but give of time and talent as the gospel goes forth all over this city and this country and this world. Let's leverage all that we have for the glory of Christ. Jesus says, lay up not treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, all for the glory of Christ, who saved us in his life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we do pray that you would be gracious even this night as we think carefully about these possessions. We're thankful for all that you provided us with, mindful that some here tonight struggle with possessions with regard to anxiety about them, and some struggle with greed of having them. And yet, oh, you, oh God, we pray you would be our greatest treasure, and that your word would work powerfully in our hearts, that we would, in the days ahead, see ourselves as stewards who can use all that we have for the glory of Christ and even have this sweet fruit which you promised, not that we gain heaven, but we gain treasures in heaven. And so in doing that, O oh God, would you work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, we pray in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.